scripture is the same as the scripture I used the last time, and it'll be the same as the next time I speak to you. Uh, So in your Bible or in your Bible app or on your tablet or wherever you are today, uh, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm in a series, excuse me, entitled Loving Like Jesus. And I want to kind of give an explanation of that today and, and go a little bit drill deeper than we did the the first message. And we have a theme song that I've adopted from Ben Rector, and I'd like you to hear this before we get going. I used to think I wanted to be I'd be recognized out in a crowd But the funny thing is Any time I've gotten what I want It lets me down But now I just want to look more like love I just want to look like love This whole world is spinning crazy And I can't quite keep up It's the one thing around here That we don't have quite enough of So I just want to look a little more Like love I used to think I needed all the answers I used to need to know that I was right I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black and white But now I just want to look like love I just want to look more like love this whole world is spinning crazy I can't quite keep up it's the one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of so I just want to look Like love I find the farther that I climb There's always another line A mountaintop It's never gonna stop And the more of anything I do The thing that always ends up true Is getting what I want will never be enough I just want to look more like love I just want to look more like love This whole world is spinning crazy I can't quite keep up 
It's the one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of, so I just wanna look a little more like love. Like love. When that song ends, I just feel like pronouncing the benediction. That just speaks to our hearts in a very special way. And today for the second message in this series... I want to present to you what I call patience endures. Maybe you've seen it. It's a scene from a a movie, and it pictures two people in a canoe in the middle of a lake with a beautiful moon shining above, and the sky's filled with twinkling stars, and in the background, a thousand violins are playing softly as he sings to her. And the songwriter says, that's love. But most of us know that it is not necessarily so. Ideal love is a beautiful thing. The composer writes, love is a many splendid thing. And another author writes, love is never having to say That you're sorry. Uh, Can I interject here? For those of us who've been married a few years, (laughs) we know that love contains a lot of apologies. We're often saying, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know what I was thinking. Dear, I didn't mean to. Shouldn't have said that, and I'll never do that again. (laughs) Parentheses till next time. I like what Ruth Bell Graham said many years ago. A good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Now, the Apostle Paul comes close to to being the composer of a great love song himself. Because in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he writes something that we read, we, I think we glibly read it, we recite it, we repeat it, we use it in different situations, many times out of context. But in that particular chapter, or in that part of his letter to the Corinthians, he pictures for us perfect love, ideal love. Like the composer and like the songwriter, Paul steps out of himself for a moment. And he pictures how love really ought to be. He expresses it in words. He dangles it out there before us. And he says that this ideal love can be yours and can be mine. But let's listen to what he really says. We're going to begin to read in that 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians, at verse 4. And what I'd like to do is read section by section, and as I read it, then we'll read it again and you join me, okay? 
So the first thing that Paul says, and this is where we get in our, we're getting our title from today, Patience Endures. He says, love is patient. So we'll all say that. Love is patient. Second thing he says is, love is kind. Everyone? Hey, we're doing a great job. Next thing he says, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Means it doesn't dishonor other people. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Don't get mad at me. It is not easily angered. You know, you could handle so many more situations in your life if you'd say that 50 times a day till you master it. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Hear this. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love, that particular kind of love, love never Fails. See, Paul knows that you and I are real people. We're working men and women. We live in a competitive world. Love is not often evident. And we're simply moms and dads, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, whatever, trying to relate to one another. So there's something in this for everyone. He writes these words and he says, as idealistic and as beautiful as this love is, you and I can experience this kind of love. We can actually have it working in our lives. In a world that's complicated, in a world that's full of pain, in a world that knows, for some people, nothing but sorrow, this kind of love can exist. This kind of love should exist, and it's possible for this kind of love to survive and thrive in your life and in mine. So let's notice a few things here about this love, this love which is patient. First, Paul is saying, love suffers long. We use that word in a biblical context, and that's about the only time we do. And we say, well, it's long-suffering, and then we just move on to the next verse, and we don't really stop to to analyze what what does suffer long really mean. So Paul begins the passage by saying this, and you said it with me, love is patient. Uh, The KJV put it this way, love suffers long. And if you take the Greek word from which that verse comes, it can be translated either way. It basically means that love is something that endures a long time. It does not easily give up. It keeps on persisting in spite of everything. Now, it doesn't take a great deal of talent to suffer. I hear some people tell me about what they're going through or what they've suffered or what they're experiencing, and 
Honestly, I really believe that they think they're the only one that ever went through that particular situation. And you know, a lot of situations in life, when you go through them, that's exactly how you do feel. It's a natural thing. Like nobody's ever felt what I'm feeling right now. All of us, however, this is news to some of you, all of us suffer in one way or another at one time or another. We don't have to graduate at the top of our class to suffer. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be poor. We don't have to be young or old. It isn't just something for male or female. Everyone suffers. And some may suffer more than others. And sometimes you look at people and, and, and you think, how can they keep going suffering like they do? And then there are these people who suffer and they exhibit more grace than you even knew was, was available. And it's just they have grace upon grace. And you think, well, I compare this person to this person, and they have way more, this one has way more grace than the other person. But all of us suffer in some way at some time. So in this passage, once again, Paul is saying, that a unique quality about the love he is describing, and I'll further describe that in a moment, is that this love is willing to suffer for a long time. In other words, it suffers long, but it it survives the suffering. I suppose we need to define suffering. Some synonyms that come to mind are words like pain, words like sorrow, words like rejection, words like tribulation, These are words that are in our everyday vocabularies and in modern-day vernacular. But to boil it down to one simple idea, I think I'm going to use this as a definition. Suffering is experiencing something in life that we want very much not to experience. Suffering is experiencing something in life that we want very much not to experience. And the key to that explanation, if you listen real carefully as you are, is, and I quote, very much. See, suffering is something that hurts. And it says, we say it in our minds, we say it with our bodies, we say it with our body language, we say it with our actions and reactions, we say it with everything about us. We say, I do not want to experience this. I want to be rid of this. This is suffering. Of course, that opens the door to all kinds of possibilities. Because on the one hand, it may be trivial suffering, And on the other hand, it may be tragic suffering. Let me explain. It may be nothing more than one particular day being in a great hurry. I mean, really being in a hurry. How many have ever been in a hurry? You have to get somewhere. You have to do something. You've got a thousand things to do. You only got time for about 500, okay? And you're getting into, because it's faster, the express lane at the grocery store. Every single person in front of you is doing what? Writing a check. And you want to go to the head of the line and tear up every check. I know, I know how you feel. See, that is something that you want very much not to experience. 
But there you are, stuck in that line, and you look over to the other one cashier that's open, and <laughs> right? See, that's trivial suffering. Uh, my trivial suffering is coming up in the car behind someone who's parked at a red light with a right turn signal on, and they've like died in the car. I want to shout this from the rooftops. You can turn right on red. If they're local, I don't beep at them. Could be the deciding vote. You never know. So if they're from out of state, I beep twice. And if they're from Massachusetts, I just lay on the horn. <laughs> but when we wrap all that up, you know what that is? That's trivial suffering. But you may experience tragic suffering. Yeah. Oh, yeah, always count the items in the cart. If they're over the limit, boot them out. So that's trivial suffering, but also you may be experiencing or have experienced or will experience what we call tragic suffering. And, of course, we always go to the, the mother load. We always say, well, you, you, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for that person that has to turn right, but I, I might have cancer, or you might have some other disease that, that is debilitating or maybe doesn't have a, a, a nice ring to it. And it constantly is a reminder in your body that it's there, it's present. Maybe it's always inflicting pain. Maybe it's just causing great discomfort. Maybe you, it has almost immobilized you or will. That is suffering too. Make no mistake about it. That is suffering too. So the truth is, I'm going to speak for everybody here, we don't like to suffer. But Paul says that the love he's talking about is willing to suffer. And if you miss this, we've missed it all this morning. So please get it. And I'm going to try to make it right there where you are. He's talking about being willing to suffer for the object of the love. It is the kind of love that's willing to endure that which is very much, it very much does not want to experience, but it does so because of its love for others. And I suggest that such love is greatly needed, as Ben Rector says, in our time. It's needed in our day right now. It's needed in our circles of influence. It's needed in our church. It's needed in our community. It's needed probably in your family. I suppose that if we ask, hey, do you want some love? It suffers long. Most people would not be too anxious to sign up. Who wants to suffer long? Yet in a world where suffering is very real, maybe the willingness to suffer long is one of the most precious gifts that we can give. So first thing in considering the endurance of patience is that love 
suffers long. I've often had people in my nearly 43 years of pastoring say to me, oh, I wish I had more patience. And I said, you're not praying for that, I hope. Well, I have prayed a lot for pastor, but don't pray for that. (laughs) My Bible reads this way. It's the same apostle that wrote that. Tribulation worketh patience. So to say I want more patience, you're inviting more trial and tribulation. So you're really going to put long suffering to the test. So now what else can we learn from this great passage? Well, many, many things. But we learn, and this is important, we learn that Paul is talking about a certain kind of love. And what is that love? That's agape love. Now let's try to understand the difference between agape love and eros or erotic love. There's also phileo love, which is the love which we call brotherly love or brotherhood love. In Scripture, the Greek word used here for love is agape. Sometimes it's called divine love, and so it should be, because it is the word that's used to really express the love of God. So that would be divine. That would be perfect. That would be peerless. It is an unselfish love that caused God to give himself to, so that this world might be saved from its sin. And this is known as agape love. Let me further define agape love and challenge you to remember my definition. Agape love moves you to help without expecting any reward. So you say, well, just naturally, I love people. I love doing this. I love doing that. <clears throat> and that's good. I'm glad that you're, you're doing a good job marketing yourself. But the question is, are you doing something for someone else without any expectation whatsoever of reward? Your first reaction might be, Bob, that's not really a big deal. Because I do a lot of nice things without expecting anything in return. And I say to you, good. And I'm proud of you. I wonder if that's really true. I'm not really doubting you, but I wonder because I've said it many times myself and know that it's partially true. See, basically, we humans are rather selfish. You say, you should see all the stuff I bought this week for others. So I wouldn't be in that category. No, you bought all that stuff because you're trying to appease selfish people. Basically, we humans are fundamentally selfish. Selfish. And every time we do something... We expect something in return. And at the very least, we expect appreciation. Or we expect some recognition. Or we expect at least it was noticed what we've done. And if we don't get any of those things, then the attitude is, well, I guess I guess I'm not very appreciated. 
I don't know why this is more prevalent in some churches than it is in the world at large, but boy, it sure seems to be easy to offend people over nothing. Yeah, I know when I'm not appreciated. Really? Yeah, they haven't stood up and cheered and said, we hold you in high regard, way to go, in church for, it must be six months. Agape love is the kind of love that causes a parent, some of you can identify, to go through some difficult times with a child who declares, if you really love me, you ever heard this? You let me do what I want to do. If you really love me, you'd let me go where I want to go. And if you really, truly love me, you'd even let me date who I want to date. And sometimes as a parent, you go through those kind of situations and you just don't even know how to pray. But you ought to pray for a good dose of agape love. So agape love is a love that does something that does whatever is required and it expects no reward in return. In contrast, just for a moment, there is eros, E-O-R-S type of love. And this is defined as a love that is controlled by desires. It wants something and it acts to satisfy that want. It is a love that is not willing to endure suffering for someone else's sake. It is completely and totally and 100% selfish. By its very nature, Eros love is concerned only with its own desires, and it will move instantly to eliminate its, its own suffering, whatever that suffering might be. But wait. If we want the purest example, if we want the perfect example... If we want the example that we need to emulate, let's look at Jesus. In Matthew 26, on that terrible night before his crucifixion, when Jesus and and the apostles reached Gethsemane, the Word of God tells us that he took Peter and James and John with him into the garden. And it says down in verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow and I'm at the point of death. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But then he immediately continues the prayer And says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that is agape love. That is long-suffering. That is Jesus saying, I will suffer through it all for the sake of others. In this case, for the sake of the lost world. For you and for me. Aren't you glad? And before we leave this part of the topic, I want you to notice there's a great difference between suffering long and suffering endlessly. Paul says love suffers long. 
And we as the students raise our heads and, and we say, but teacher, how long do we have to suffer? How long do I have to go through this, whatever it is I'm going through? Paul doesn't tell us. You can't say, well, I'm going to follow this whole line of reasoning. I'm going to go right down through 13. I'll check 14. I'll go right down to the end of the letter if I have to and into the second letter. He, he must have an answer there. He doesn't answer. I can't, he says, I can't tell you for sure. It may be a year. It, it, it might be 10 years. It may be tomorrow. But love suffers long. We like deadlines, Paul. We're pretty compact kind of people, and we like a beginning and an end. We'd like to know exactly how long we're going to have to go through this. And Paul doesn't tell us. And he simply says that love suffers long. And he leaves us dangling out there. And there's a reason. But does it suffer forever, Paul? Not necessarily. It might. But at times in Scripture, there is a limit to love. And this isn't often taught, I understand. But I think it's something we all need to know. There's a time where love draws a line and says, I will suffer no longer. And we need to look at God's love as our prime example again. And the best place to do that is in the book of Romans. And if you turn to chapter 1 and start reading through that chapter, you'll be amazed at what you find. You'll find that God looks at a people who have rebelled against him, and they've deeply entrenched themselves in a life of sin and debauchery, and they've said, we don't want God in our lives any longer. We're not interested in the God thing. We have long since abandoned him. And God looks at them. He has suffered them a long while. He actually breathed into their nostrils, as he did you and me, the very breath of life. He's loved them and loved them and loved them, and he's endured their blasphemy, and he's endured their ignorance, and he's endured all of their lies. And finally, God says, that is enough. And if you go back and read your Old Testament, you'll find early on that there is a line that is drawn. I will give them up to their reprobate, and I'm reading from the New Testament. I will give them up to their reprobate minds and to their own passions. I'll give them what they want. Oh, boy. I will come out of their lives and no longer be a factor, and I will give themselves to themselves. That's one of the most damning statements in the New Testament. God says, I draw the line. You ask, and this morning, rightly so, to ask, how does God know when to draw the line? Well, we don't know that. So stay away from the line. Is there a great blueprint, Bob, somewhere? And and, and it's, there's a line drawn right down the middle of it, and it says if you suffer this long, that's it. You don't have to suffer any longer. I, I doubt there's such a blueprint. But it seems to indicate in Scripture that there is a limit to each situation where suffering says, I will suffer no longer. 
I, I want to give you a truer than life example and one, a scenario that, uh, that I've experienced with people, just a couple of things uh, in, in the pastorate over the years. Let's just say, and this is a, a, a scenario that repeats itself over and over, and it's repeating itself even today, even as I speak. But let's just put, uh, put this in kind of general terms. A woman is married to a man who is an alcoholic. And today we could say it could be a, a drug addict or whatever. Her erotic love for him has died long ago, and the only thing that keeps her marriage going is her agape love. She wants to do something for this man. She wants to help him. She wants to have a, a, a balanced life. She continues to give to him and give to him and give to him, expecting nothing in return, hoping for something maybe but not really expecting anything anymore. Now, must she suffer with him forever? And everybody's on me. I can't say. I can't say. But I think there must be a time when love not only suffers long, but love finally faces the truth and it acts on the truth. So she says, I've suffered long. I've endured this abuse. I've endured his beatings. I've stayed awake at night wondering if he was even coming home. I've stayed awake for days wondering where he was. But now we've reached the limit and I draw the line. And as a result, after many years of this, she leaves him. Because she knows it is no longer any good for him for her to stay and keep doing what she's been doing, suffering long. All that to say again, suffering long and suffering endlessly are not one and the same thing. A third thing that we learn from this passage is that long-suffering produces positive reactions. I believe that long-suffering love, that kind of love that Jesus exampled for us, produces positive reactions in our lives. I'll give you just a couple of examples. For example, long-suffering produces patience. And we're coming full circle now. Patience with ourselves, hello. See, some people are not patient with others because, first of all, they're not patient with themselves. So patient with ourselves, patience to take a deep breath and relax. Some people don't know that exercise at all. It's just a bundle of nervous energy going 90 miles an hour down the hill with a tailwind. Get out of my way because I'm working on patience really hard. Long-suffering produces patience that will allow you to look in the mirror and say, maybe you're not as bad, maybe you in the mirror, you're not as bad as I thought. This would be patience to accept who you are and accept what you are, where you are, when you are, right this very moment. What kind of patience 
Well, patience to realize we don't have the mind of Albert Einstein. There are no Einsteins here. I don't care how many uh, Einstein baby tapes you listen to. You are not going to solve all the difficult equations of the world. But would you realize this? Just for a minute, will you stay with me? Would you realize that you do have a mind and you can use that mind to the glory of God Almighty? Hmm? What kind of patience? Patience to realize that you don't have all the musical talents of a Mozart. And therefore, you're not going to compose symphonies. You're not going to compose operas. You're not going to make tremendous contributions to the world musically. And for some of you, this is great news. But you can still make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that's all the scripture requires. Amen. 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 I've heard some of you sing, amen. Amen. Oh, you ought to be jumping up and down to hear that. (laughs) What kind of patience? Patience to realize that we may not be spiritual giants. We're not the apostles. But also realizing that we can pray. Oh, we're going to do that when everything else gets settled down and when the dust settles and we're all through this and then we're going to get really spiritual. And we can read our Bibles. And even though we're going through a situation that we would rather not, we very much do not want to go through, we can still serve God faithfully. We're just not saying that enough anymore. And we're not doing it enough anymore. So we can accept ourselves, and we can accept our situation in life, not accepting the evil that's in there, but accepting the situation and being able to suffer with it and suffer long if need be. Because all of that will result in inner peace. That one thing that every single human strives for, very few ever attain. I go back to my favorite theologian. And in one of the Peanuts cartoons, Lucy says to him, Charlie Brown, I hate everything. Charlie Brown, I hate everybody, and I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie said, but Lucy, I thought you had inner peace. And Charlie, and Lucy replies, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. I've met people who claim to have inner peace. And I'll just say this to clear the record. It wouldn't be the kind of inner peace I, I would like to have. I don't think I want Lucy's inner peace. Long-suffering develops patience. Second thing long, uh, long-suffering develops is courage. This is important to you, Christian. Courage to stand up against that which is evil and say, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Say, you shouldn't hate. There's some things you should hate. And you look around you in the world and you see poverty and you see disease and you see famine and you see people just being treated terribly and you see all these situations in various parts of the world and in the countries of the world, our own included. And you, and you just have to say, 
with a sense of courage, Christian friend. I'm not going to give in to all these things. I'm not going to let them overtake me. I'm going to be a good soldier of the Lord, and I'm going to do battle against all these evils as long as I'm on this earth. So long-suffering produces patience. Long-suffering produces courage. Long-suffering produces one other thing, and now we're full circle. It produces real love. It's a love that can look across the street. It's a love that can see someone in the community who's in trouble and there's an opportunity for you to move to meet the need without ever expecting anything in return. One of the most noble things that you can do as a Christian, yeah, but as a human. It's a love that looks across an aisle in church and it notices the trace of a tear on a cheek And it moves to meet a need right there. And it never expects anything in return. This love that I'm describing this morning is a love that forgets about self and thinks about others. It's a love that will give and give and give and give and give and give give some more. And i got to tell you, the only conclusion we could come to right now is that the greatest example of all of this that I've said this morning is God himself. Be honest with me. Have you ever wondered? You ever wondered? You ever had this conversation with God? Why do you put up with us, God? You ever had that conversation? Or maybe it's a little more personal. With And you say, why have you, why, why have you put up with me? And I see you glaring right through me like, I bet you've prayed that a lot. <laughs> have you ever wondered and said to God, why don't you just snap your fingers? You could blow us to smithereens and start all over again, and I'm sure it'll look a whole lot better. Have you ever said this to God? Very likely in a moment of deep depression or maybe just desperation. God, why don't you come today and set everything in order? Why don't you just put us all in our places and say, you have to be good little boys and good little girls. And you can't continue to misbehave the way you've been misbehaving. You ever wondered truly? You ever wondered? Why God doesn't just do that? It seems to me sometimes to be the most logical thing for God to do. Here's the answer why he doesn't. Because our God and his love is long-suffering. And Peter answers your questions really better than I can. Because people were asking Peter. They said, look, Jesus told us he was coming back again. We believe that. We've been following him. We've put our trust in him. We've been covering the trail. We've given up a lot to, to, to follow him and to be his disciples and to be his followers. When's he coming back? Why is he delaying so long? And 
little sidetrack here. That was 2,000 years ago. And you'll see those questions and answers in 2 Peter 3, particularly verse 9. So Peter writes this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient with you. There it is. And here's why. Wanting, he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone, who? Everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's, why he's waiting. My friend, the love of God, you see, keeps on giving. It, it loves us when we're unlovable. It loved us when we were least deserving. It loved us when we were in a state of rebellion. His love just keeps on giving. It keeps on giving. It keeps on giving because it is long-suffering. And friend, I don't know where you are with the Lord this morning. Some of us may be walking very close to him. I hope so. Could be someone here this morning. It's not that way. Could be somebody here this morning has just come through a week. They say these holiday weeks are the toughest on people that are struggling, and they are. Maybe you've had a week of trials. Maybe you've had a a week, you say, that was tribulation. Or maybe the Eros love has just reappeared in your life, and you're dealing with that more than you are the real love, the genuine love, the agape love. Well, I want to encourage you to see, to know, and to experience the love that God has expressed for you in Jesus Christ. And then I want to challenge you to reach out to him today. Because patience endures if you're loving like Jesus. Can we bow for a few quiet moments? Just bow our heads together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. Could we just have it quiet for a moment or two? Can we use this as a time of reflection, time of introspection, time for everybody to do some searching? You know where you are today with God. You know where he ranks as far as priority. You know what you've done, where you've been, how you've reacted. These things are all known to you, and they're known to God. And if you're not walking with him where you ought to be, as closely as you should be, living in, the love of God, understanding more and more every day what that agape love means, learning and understanding more every day of what long-suffering love and patience really are, then I'm encouraging you today to give up whatever's holding you back, whatever has been the cause of you not coming to your full potential spiritually, to just give it up today. Just give it up. And hand that over to him. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon every soul in this room.
everyone listening to this message, wherever they might be. Lord, we pray today that your spirit might infiltrate those hearts that really, really haven't been open to you. They've shown glimpses of, of light and inner peace and, and tranquility at times, but they still live in chaos. They're still up and down. They still can't really express or experience or example what Paul is speaking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. So, Lord Jesus, we ask today that you might, by your Spirit's power, draw them closer to you. Draw that one person, that man, that woman, that young person, whoever it might be, into a fuller, richer relationship and fellowship with you today. And if they need that hand of encouragement and that voice that will lift them and affirm them and accept them, may everyone here who names the name of Christ be willing to be that hand and that voice. And we'll thank you for the results in Jesus' name. And the church said...